Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Now, church, remember what we've covered so far, okay? Chapter 1 in the book of Genesis is going to be a really wide-angle view of creation. Of course, we um, stood on the foundational verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but chapter 1 is really a wide-angle view. Well, now, chapter 2, we will take the lens and we will zoom in to get a little bit more detail in creation. Now, if you recall, chapter 1 gives us the seven-day creation account. In day 1, God created light. He created light in and night and day. That's what it tells us in day one. Day two, God created the sky and the seas. I'm going to move pretty quick. Day three, God created the land and the vegetations. Day four, God created the stars, the sun and the moon. You remember that video blew us away. I mean, just the galaxies that are out there. That's what God created day on day four. Day five, God created the sea creatures and the birds. Day six, God created animals, and then he went off to create, what was that? Humans, us, the Imago Day. On day seven, he rested. He rested. So now we're going to zoom in. We're going to get up close and personal. If you're taking notes, verses 4 through 25, they're going to portray God, number one, as a creator. We're going to see him as a creator. We're going to see him as a gardener, and, and then we're going to see him as a matchmaker, right? The ultimate matchmaker. So again, verses 4 through 25 portrays God as a creator. You go, Ben, that's, that's chapter one. Amen. We're going to see him as a gardener, and then we're going to see him as a matchmaker. If you're taking note, jot this down. Verses four through seven, we're going to get into details of God creating man, which would be Adam. Okay. You go, well, I thought he created him on the sixth day. He did, but now he's going to come back and we're going to zoom in a little bit. So verses four through seven, we're going to see how God or see God create men, mankind, Adam. And then in verses 8 through 17, we take a break from the creation of man, and he's going to create, well, basically God creates a garden called Eden, the Garden of Eden. We'll see that in verses 8 through 17. And then in verses 8 through 25, God is going to fashion, I like that word, fashion, a woman, and he's going to be taken from man for man. So God is going to create a woman, take him from man, Four men, we see that in verses 18 to 25. Okay, so let's jump into our text. Now, before we do, we have an outline, right? The outline of the book of Genesis. We saw creation from 1-1 to 2-3. We talked all about that. Now, remember, from chapter 2, verse 4 to 5-32, this is Adam and Eve's story. This is Adam and Eve's story, okay? So we're going to be looking at them all the way to chapter Five. So we're picking up our story, guys, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Now remember, this is a detailed account of what we've already read. 
So we need, to, we need to go back and we need to unpack this just a little bit. Notice what it says. This is the history. Some of your translations would say the genealogy. He's going back. And of course, we're looking at this as Moses being the writer. We're going back and saying, okay, Moses is seen. This is the what? This is the genealogy of, right? Or the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Everybody see that? But notice there's a comma. And then it says, in what? In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And so most scholars take that and go, wait a minute, in the day, in the day. So we have to do a little bit of work, guys. Notice in the day, this is important to know. And you go, why, Pastor Ben? Because the creation week is not specified in a single day by this phrase. We just read it. We go, I thought creation was made over a week, not a day. We go, oh, okay, I understand. You see, because more than likely in the Hebrew, it means at the time, not in the day. At the time, the Lord God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, so what you're saying, Ben, is now we're going to take a detailed account, but it's not necessarily God created in a day. Could he create the world in a day? Absolutely. Could he have done all that in a day? He sure could have, but he said, no, 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 we know that it's day one and day two. Now, again, I want to jog your memory just a moment, okay? And, and, and this is where you stand upon a seven-day literal creation. You go, why? Okay, here I want to jog your memory. Whenever you find a numeral, uh, a, a numeral objective, right, or an adjective such as the first day or the second day, it always refers to a 24-hour period. Anytime we see that, so whenever the end of the sentence says, this was the first day, we in our minds go, okay, so it was a 24-hour period. That was the first day. A lot of our questions go, well, why did God take seven days to create everything? I think he was instituting a work week for us so we would have a timeline and we wouldn't have a 10-day work week or a four-day work week, and, and he was just showing us that. So at that time, right, what happens? Now, again, notice what it says. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When God created, at the time, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Guys, look at that verse right there. Look at verse 4. It's very, very important. Why? Because now all of a sudden it's saying the Lord God. The Lord God. See, all up until now, up until now, we've, we've, what? we've, we've seen the term for God is Elohim. Elohim. That was in the beginning, Elohim, right? And you guys know this. You guys know that the fact that when it comes to Elohim, it's one God is El, Elo is two or more. Elohim is three or more gods. We don't have time to dissect that. We can go back to chapter one and listen to the podcast. But here it's, it's all in chapter one. It's been Elohim, Elohim, right? It also means mighty. It also means strong. It also means creator. But here, and here's what I love, guys, here, it now reads the Lord God, the Lord God. So if you have a pencil handy, you can circle the word Lord because now he's saying the Yahweh Elohim, the Yahweh Elohim. So it's saying, okay, instead of this mighty creator, which God really is, he says, now we're going to change this in verse four. Let's, let's step back. Let's zoom in. He goes, oh, 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 I get it. I love the name change, guys, because it denotes a personal God who loves and cares about me. And here is a God that I can love because here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, yes, yes, I understand and I believe in a creator God who spoke into existence. Yes, I see the mountains. I see the clouds. I see the valleys. I see the great sunsets. I see the great sunrises. That is God. He is creator. But, but now I'm seeing him as, well, he's up close and personal. He's up, he, he's up close and, and personal. And, and here's, what I, here's a God that I can love. And you go, why? 
because here's some things that, that I can do. You go, what? Well, if you're taking note, guys, I can talk to him. We know that it's prayer. I can talk to him. And I think that's so important in our everyday walk. There is a God that hears us. And he hears us when we pray. And he hears us when we talk to him. And here's what I love about God. There are some things in my heart that I'm talking to God that I probably wouldn't share with anybody else. And he knows and he, and he, and he just, he loves me anyway. And when I'm struggling, I can say, God, I'm struggling. And when I'm hurt, I say, God, I'm hurt or, or, or whatever it might be, guys. I think, I think it's so important because why? It's a personal God that hears me. And we have to know that. We have to know that. Do you know that when you pray to God that he hears you? And I think, and I think of those times when it's like, really, Ben, does God really hear me? Because, because I think of that, like all the voices, and I think about all the prayers going up, and, and God is so, so mighty that he does, and he hears me, and he cares about me. That's what I love. I love that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I love the Elohim. He spoke Canis Majoris into, into existence. Boom, big old star. But he also hears my my, my prayer. You go, what else, Ben? What else is personal? Well, the second thing, I know I can talk to him, but I can know him. I can know God. You go, what do you mean? Well, if you're taking note, you can experience him in every aspect of your life. You can experience walking with God every single day as you pray and you listen. And, and he begins to guide your life and guide your heart. And of course, you guys know this week has been an, an, an interesting week when it comes to those who are who, who who have been diagnosed with with illnesses that that we hate and and there are those that are still in the hospital and there are those that are waiting to see a doctor and all the stuff that's going on we can know God in an experiential experiential way to know that He's going to be walking with us and He's not a God that's just far off and He's not a God that's that's looking at us and going, yeah, someday I'll get to you. Oh, hold on. It's not your turn. But we can know him. We can experience him. Here's what I love about a personal guy's guys. I, I can talk to him. I can know him. I can experience him in every aspect. But I also know that he talks to me. And he talks to me. How does he talk to you, Ben? How does he talk? Well, guys, it's really interesting because we know that he talks to us through the Bible. Right? Right? What we need to remember is that when we have a relationship with God, guys, it's not a it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. And I'm praying and I'm reading, and then God's going to speak to my heart. So I know that He's going to speak to me and He's going to speak to me through His Word. Another way He speaks through us is through circumstances, doesn't He? circumstances. There'll be something that you'll be praying about and, and boom, and, and you'll be asking God and the circumstances line up and, and there you go. You go, God, God really spoke to my heart on that. Well, where'd you read it? I just knew circumstances lined up and he spoke to me that way. But I also thought about scripture and I thought about this, right? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through circumstances. And there are times in our lives that he speaks to us through a still, small voice. Still, small voice. I just draw your attention, guys, to this story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. You can just make a mark. But I think about Elijah, right? 
Elijah heard the Lord through a still small voice. And I bet Elijah thought, listen, I would rather God direct me in this great dramatic fashion. But here in the text, God speaks to him through a still small voice. Let me read you the story, right? Elijah is on the run, right? And, and, and he said in verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain before God. And behold, the Lord God passed by. And a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And of course, the story goes on in First Kings. We don't have time because we're, we're looking at the book of Genesis. But guys, think about it. There are times when I think Elijah was wanting to hear God in the earthquake. God, he wants to hear God in the tornado. He wants to hear God in the wind. We want to hear him sometimes in dramatic fashion. There are times when we want to step out and say, God, will you just write my answer in the sky? And there are times when he says, I'm going to speak to you in a still, small voice. And there are times in our lives, church, where we have to get real quiet. Maybe we have to get in a cave and we have to say, okay, God, speak. Speak. Elijah said, okay, okay, you're not in the fire. You're not in the earthquake, right? You're not in the wind. And God and Elijah heard God's voice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my heart longs to hear the voice of God. You see, there are times in our lives, I think, every one of us, but probably me most of all, there are times when I know God is speaking and he'll show, he'll show me something and sometimes I feel like it's circumstantial, like, oh, well, that's just how circumstances lined up. And the Lord's like, man, no, 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 I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to help you hear the voice of God and I want to hear God's voice. And I want to hear God's voice. And I love that I can have a personal relationship with him. But here's what. I never want to take that for granted. You guys know what I'm talking about? I never want to take that. Well, God's going to speak to me. God's always going to speak to me, right? I don't like it at times when God doesn't speak. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. As I was thinking about this and I was thinking about some, someone in Scripture who didn't hear the voice of the Lord, of course, Abram came to mind. Abram. And you go, well, when did Abram not hear the voice of the Lord? Well, see, God had a walk, and he was walking with Abram a lot, right? And the Bible says at 86 years old, okay, at 86, when Isaac was born to him, God didn't speak to him until chapter 17. And it said when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him directly. So you go, what happened for 13 years between chapter 16 and 17? I'm going, I don't know if God spoke to him. I don't think so. It doesn't say directly in Scripture. But I know, I know, church, that there are times in our life when we're going, God, I don't hear your voice. I can't hear you in this. And I never want to take, the, take it for granted that, that the God of the universe who created all still loves me and wants to talk to me. And I've got to ask this question, guys, because I know it's, it's very real in my life. What is in your life that's keeping you from hearing God's voice? 
What are the things in our lives that are drowning out maybe spending time in hearing what God wants to say to us? And there are times when we go, okay, I don't, I don't want to be like Abraham. I don't want to have Isaac. I want your perfect will. And then I'm Ishmael, and then when Isaac comes, I want to hear you. And so back in Genesis, what does it say? And so we have Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, very personal, very um, wonderful God. And now we come to the creation of man in verse 7. In verse 7, in Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God, there it is again, thank you, Jesus, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Guys, if you're a highlighter or an underlighter, this is a verse that I've highlighted in my Bible. This is, this is, just, a, this is just an amazing verse. And you go, why? Because here's what I want you to note. I want you to note that the Lord God formed, notice the word formed, he formed man from the dust of the ground, Okay, then he breathed into man and created a living being. So the way we unpack this verse is the first thing we see is that God created man from where, guys? Out of the dust of the ground. Okay, now, again, I don't want to do any disservice to my Lord, but it's almost like God took just his hand and scooped up the dust to form Adam just out of the dust of the ground. Okay, we see that, right? Now, Again, he created Adam, right? He created Adam just with dirt. Just with dirt. Now, think about it. I want you to think about this from a scientific point of view. Man's body, right, was created. It was formed. And do you realize that it has the same elements that we find in the dust of the earth? You go, well, like what? Oxygen. You find oxygen and carbon and hydrogen and nitrogen. And there was a whole list of them. If you, if you get on there and you just say, what elements are found in the body? It's the very same thing. But it's like God says, look, look, look. I created him out of the dust. You go, what does that mean? How does that help me? But it helps us to, to put our faith in a foundation that says God is God. And I trust him because the same thing he says I created and formed Adam out of the dust is the very same thing that is in us. That's from a scientific point of view, okay? You got oxygen, you got carbon, you got hydrogen, you got nitrogen. Paul tells us the same thing, right? The Old Testament confirms it. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 says, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. From heaven. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. Now, how about this in a spiritual way? How about this in a spiritual way? I think about it, right? We were created. Adam was created. What was he created from? Help me, church. Dirt, right? Dirt. We're dirt. And I think about this, and and, and here's what we really need to grasp, I think, guys. We are dirt, but think about this. We're created in the image of God, but all in all, we're just dirt. Pastor, what's your point? I just think sometimes when we get too big for our britches, I'm reminded that we're just dirt being used for God, for God's glory. Whenever, again, again, I mean, whenever we we think that we're something or somebody, we can remember that we're just, we're really dirt. We're really just dirt. And God took up dirt, and he wants to use that in an amazing way. An amazing way. 
I don't have this in my notes, but I really love the story. Joseph came early to church tonight, and he was so excited because God used Joseph in an amazing way at, at, at work today. He was able to minister, and he's like, Pastor, you won't believe. And verses were coming out, and I didn't even know I knew those verses, and it was so amazing. And we had talked about that on Monday night, and it was so cool to see God use him and, and, and that knowledge and just, but it's, but it's dirt for God's glory. That's really what it is. And I love this verse, guys, to remind me. I love this verse. Jot this down. I think it's a great verse. It's just a great applicational verse. It's Micah 6, 8. You guys know this. Micah 6, 8 is how we should walk humbly. He says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. What does the Lord require of me? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's, that's really what we are, guys. We, we just want to walk humbly, but, but to love mercy. And so the verse again tells us, and the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, formed and fashioned man from the dust of the ground, right? And what does he do? He, well, he breathes into man. He breathes, okay? Very interesting word. Adam came to life when God, the word is rauk, rauk, into his nose. And Adam's first birth, I want you to see this. Okay, there's Adam, right? He's just a lump of clay, if you will. God formed him, and he goes, and he breathes in. And, and here's what I want you to see. That all, y'all, is that it, that's an inhale. That's an inhale. God's, when he breathed in, Adam inhaled the breath of life. The breath of life. And as I sat there thinking, okay, so God, you did this to Adam. You went, you blew in. Adam went, as he came in, he came to life. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because I want you to notice that when we die and the life goes out of us, it's always an exhale. It's never an inhale. The very, the, the breath of life that... Thank you, Lord. And when we die, it's a... And if you've ever been that close when someone takes their final breath, you'll see them exhale, and you'll wait, and you'll look, and they'll never draw breath in again. they're, They're gone. I think it's the same thing that happens to us guys when we're born again, right? If we were to go to New Testament, we talked about this in John. When Jesus comes to live inside us, guys, we're what we're revitalized back to life. Okay? That's that's what happens. You're born again. And the same spiritual breath when Jesus comes in and saves us. That's why it's so important. And and and, and listen, I am I am the I will, I will do altar calls till I die. I want to see people come and get saved. But that's why I say words alone aren't sufficient to save because somebody could walk up to the altar, they could pray a prayer, and it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit or they've been born again from above. They could have just said a prayer based upon an emotional decision or whatever else it is. But our goal is to see them and their hearts regenerate that they have a walk with God from here on out. 
that their life begins to change, that they're walking in a different direction. What's that? I don't know. Something's changed in my heart. I, I, feel, I feel different. I, I prayed a prayer, and some of us have prayed a prayer crying at an altar. Some of us prayed a prayer on our knees at home. Some of us prayed a prayer all by ourselves. We, we, it's just different for everyone. But the point is, is that I think in the same way that God blew life into Adam, the same way the Holy Spirit brings life into us when we're born from above. And that's how you know that you're saved. Saved, okay. Okay, my heart has changed. My heart has changed. Well, what happened to Adam? God, he blew, and man became a living being. If you look up up living being, it's the soul, it's the inner man. All of a sudden, he's alive. He's alive. Here's just a note, guys, if if you're taking note. Adam right here. Adam was, was created, he was fashioned, right, with a spirit that was already alive in God. What do you mean? When Adam was created, he didn't need to be born again because there wasn't sin in his heart, yet he was already alive. He's, uh, he walked with God. He talked with God. He knew God. We're going to see next week in the garden, right? Adam, where are you? We, we, we used to have fellowship together. What's, what's going on? Buddy, hey. And you're thinking, well, did God lose Adam? No, God knew exactly where he was, but he would call out to him. But the, the, the point is, is that right here, Adam <sighs> he knows God. But, but Adam knows God the way you know God right now, being born again. Because there was a time in your life when your spirit was dead. You were born in Adam, and you came into this world just the same way. Your body was alive. You came out. Your mama looked at you and said, oh, what a treasure, and held you and loved you and, 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 and so forth. But there has a time when you come and you make your own decision to say, Jesus, come into my heart and, and save me, and I believe in you. And your heart begins to transform. It begins to, it begins to regenerate. And you know, the problem is, guys, this next chapter, Adam dies spiritually. And so when we're born in Adam, we're born into sin, and therefore we need to be born again. Born again. Well, Adam, praise the Lord, he is alive. He's alive. All right, Adam, good job. Now, what God does is God says, okay, let's, let's take a break from Adam. Let's, let's create a garden. I, I want a place for Adam to live. Look at verse 8. And the Lord God, there it is again, Yahweh Elohim, very personal, planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of good, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you're taking note, guys, the word uh, or or the name Eden means delight. So God planted this garden and it was east of delight. It was a wonderful, wonderful garden. You go, well, Ben, where did he plant this? Well... Right about now, it's, well, most scholars believe it's modern-day Iraq, and it's based upon the rivers we'll see. There are two rivers that are still flow up there in northern Iraq today. You have the Tigris and Euphrates. They're in the vicinity of northern Iraq. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Keep in mind, you go, so the Garden of Eden is somewhere in Iraq. Could be, but after the flood, it could have changed locations in some way, shape, or form. So what are you saying? You don't know? I don't know. 
I don't know. I know God created a garden, and man's going to forfeit that garden. But it could be because we know that Tigris and the Euphrates are still there. Well, what did man do in the garden? Well, guys, check it out. Notice, he planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed to do what? Right? And, and out of the ground, right, the Lord God made every tree, and he, he, he's supposed to what? We're going to see what he's going to do there. He's going to put him in there. Now, here's what I want you to see. We're going to see that he put man into the garden to work. He it says in verse 15, and the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. You go, well, pastor, what's the point on that? Here's just a side note, guys. Do you realize that God really created us to work? He created us that way. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to get to the place where we find satisfaction in our work. And there's nothing like coming from a hard day where at heart and, and feeling that accomplishment of going, yes, I can do it. Thank you, Jesus. And that's because that's God put that in us, even from the garden, to work and to find satisfaction in that work. Well, there are two operative words, guys, that, that he says, okay, Adam, here's what you're going to do in the garden. I want you to tend it and keep it. Now, here's why it's real important, because he didn't say, Adam, there's the garden. <laughs> I'll take care of it. I've got other gardeners, right? Michael, Gabriel, get down here and do some stuff. Oh, you, 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 well, what do I do, Lord? Oh, just chill out, bro. Just, just enjoy the garden. Just walk around. He says, no, no, no. I want you to what? I want you to work. I want you to tend. What does that mean? It's abad in the Hebrew. And it means to work and to till and to toil and to serve. I had written in my notes, Adam was there to pull weeds, but I don't know if weeds had come yet. Maybe, maybe not. But nonetheless, he was supposed to do something in the garden. He was supposed to abad. He was supposed to tend, but he was also supposed to keep it. That is Shamar. So you got Abad and Shamar, and you go, what is Shamar? It's to keep it, to guard it, to protect it. And so there he is going, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. And I believe Adam was to be God's helper as a gardener. Okay, Lord, here's what you want me to do. I'm going to work and till and maintain, and I'm going to pick fruit, and probably I had to prune some branches. Those of you with the green thumb, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Okay. And it's very interesting because there will be times that we have beautiful flowers in the front of our church. And we got these big, wonderful, big flowers. And, and on Sunday morning, I'm looking at the flowers and, and here comes Beverly. And Beverly will say, Pastor Ben, do you have scissors? What do you need scissors for, Beverly? Because I'm going to show you. And she'll go out there and she'll, and she'll cut off all the flowers. It's barely what you eat, but it's so slow. Don't worry. They're going to what? And I, and I wonder if that was Adam's deal. He's going to trim it so it could just even be beautiful. And then before you know it, next Sunday, there's more flowers. And Beverly gives me that look like nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I told you. And so that's, I wonder if Adam does that. But something else very interesting in our text. Did you guys see that? God planted two trees in the middle of the garden. Two trees. What are they? Well, first of all, we have the tree of life. The tree of life. You go, what's that? Well, I did some interesting research, and and the only thing I could find was that basically it was symbolic of God, right? Because God breathed life into Adam. But I also believe the tree had healing attributes. Healing attributes. If they partook of that tree, I believe that they lived long. And you go, why? Because remember when Adam sinned, Right? God had to 
escort them out of the garden. And he put a cherubim in front of the tree of life because guess what? Now, now listen, here's what it is. Here's what I want you to say. I want to paint this picture. Okay, when Adam sinned, he, he could not partake of the tree of life anymore because that would not be, that would be horrible. Because then Adam would live and live in a constant state. And, and, and the point is, is that, is that there comes a point in our lives when God's grace is wrapped up in death. When our bodies have broken down so much that he says, okay, it's time for you to come home. And so again, guys, think about this. Think about this. This is a tree of life, symbolic. This is God. And you go, where do you get that healing attribute stuff? Well, I find it in the New Testament, you see, because later on in New Jerusalem, when the New Jerusalem comes in, in Revelation 22, we're going to experience, again, the tree of life. Notice what it says. Revelation 22 and verse 2, it says, in the middle of its streets, on either side, now speaking of the New Jerusalem, either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. For the healing of the nations. And I'm like, okay, so this, the tree of life is going to be in the future. What does that mean? I don't know, but it could have some healing properties. But then you have the tree of good, knowledge of good and evil. You go, what does that symbolize? I believe it's the test of obedience. It's a test of obedience. But I also think it's a reminder that Adam, hey, buddy, you're not God. It wants to remind, and it wants to remind us that we are not God. And so again, we have two trees. Now we know what's going to happen because God's going to give a command in just a moment. But look at verse 10 with me real quick. Now a river... Went out of Eden, okay, so now you have this river, to the water of the garden. Thank you, Lord. And from there it parted and became, what, four riverheads. The name of the first was the Bashan, and it was the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and gold of that land is good. You have Bedellium and Onyx are, the, are stones there. The name of the second is the Gihon, and it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third uh, river is Hidekel, or some of your translations will say Tigris. It's the one that goes towards the east of Assyria. And of course, the fourth river is Euphrates. So what waters the garden is this river it has four heads. You have the Bashan, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. And so I thought, ah, I wonder if there's something there. So I looked it up and I said, what are the names? What do these names mean? I found it very interesting. Let me just give you this in case you're interested. I mean, you don't have to write these down, but if you do, the, the name of the river Pishon, it means increase, increase. Gehon means bursting forth. The Tigris means rapid. And of course, Euphrates means fruitfulness. I thought that was just interesting. Now, again, guys, we're not told in scripture. We're not told, but maybe Adam was the one who actually named these. Right? Because he was told to name the birds of the air, have dominion, and we're going to see that he's going to bring all, all, the, all the animals to him and name him. But I wonder if he was in charge of naming the rivers too. Well, he named them this way. And then I thought, well, those, those meanings are really kind of close to Christianity, aren't they? You know, what do you mean? Well, I mean, think about this, guys. When we think about, when we think about the river Pashan, right, it means increase. 
Another word for increased is growth. And of course, you are encouraged to grow in your walks with God. How wonderful it is to drink of the river of Pishon and go, oh, I'm growing in my walk with God. The question is, for me, and the question is for you, are we walking closer to God this year than we were last year? I want to grow with God. I want to grow with God. Lord, help me to drink a little more of that river. Well, you go, what's the second river? Well, you have the Gehan, right? And it means bursting forth. Bursting forth. And I'm thinking, bursting forth. What would be bursting forth? Well, we talked about this, about being born again. And I think there's a lot of us who burst forth from death into life. It's that in your spirit. Ben, are you saying this is, this is biblical? I'm just giving you names, guys. I'm just showing you this. How, what about the, the, the Hittichel or the Tigris River? It means rapid, right? What is rapid? Well, another, another term for rapid is swiftly, swiftly, or very quickly. When I read that, you know what came to mind, right? Right? To be snatched up, right? To be caught up quickly. And I'm thinking, well, that's when the Lord's going to come back in the twinkling of an eye. How much is the twinkling? Half a blink. You go, that's pretty cool. But what's even more cool is, are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? You go, what about the tigress? Well, guys, that's, that's amazing. Why? Because it means fruitfulness. And I think producing fruit as believers is what Jesus wants from us, to produce fruit. And we can produce fruit all over the place, guys. We can produce fruit at our jobs. We can produce fruit at our schools. We can produce fruit everywhere we are. And I think that's what the Lord Jesus wants to do in each and one of our lives is to produce that fruit, the fruit of, of, of peace, the fruit of righteousness, fruit in the, even in the midst of suffering. Jesus wants to produce that fruit in our lives. Well, you go, Ben, you mentioned a command. Yeah, he gave us four rivers. What are the command? Well, look at verse 15. It says, then the Lord God put man and put him in the garden. He took him and put man in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Everybody see that? But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Pastor Ben, I've got a question. Could they eat? of the fruit of the, the tree of life? Absolutely. It, I mean, right here, it just says, uh, out of every tree, you can eat. Well, what tree am I not supposed to eat of? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that tree. Okay, don't eat of that tree. Adam, have, go, man, brother, go for it. Of every tree, freely have a blast. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he says, don't eat from that tree. Now, of course, whenever we're told, don't do something, what's our normal response? Why, Lord? Why? Why? He says, because when you eat it, when you eat in that day, if you eat it, you will surely die. You will surely die. Question is, guys, and I can't answer it. Why did God put a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if he knew Adam and Eve were going to be standing there looking up going, wow, yay. And it was going to, it was going to um, fracture all of mankind. I don't know. I know it's always, I know that in each of our lives, guys, it's always a test of obedience. Are you going to do and walk in the will of God? If 
The day you eat it, guys, Adam, Adam, listen, listen, Adam, come here. In that day you eat it, you'll surely die. Now, we know from our context in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they died. You go, Ben, I didn't think they died. They went on to have kids, right? Well, they didn't die physically right away, but they died spiritually. I find it interesting that the word die here, guys, in the Hebrew means to die as penalty. To die as penalty. The penalty for disobedience is death. And death is separation from God. Paul, in writing to the Romans, gives us some good news, right? In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as one man sin entered the world through death, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Yes, Paul. And then he goes on in verse 17 to say, For if by one man's offense death reigned, Through one man, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. So, so if Adam brought forth death, Jesus brought forth life. Why is that important? Why is that important? Here's why. Listen to me, church. Because the enemy wants to. He wants to destroy your walk with Jesus or even your thoughts about Jesus. He'll, he'll, he'll try to do that. Listen, you can pray in any other name, just don't pray in Jesus' name. Well, why? Because we're born in Adam. We know that. I can pray in Adam's name. doesn't mean anything, but don't pray in Jesus' name. And we're getting to that place as a country. We're getting to that place as a country. Now, we'll talk about sin next week when we see Adam and Eve hanging around the forbidden tree. So whenever, right, so wherever this place is, it sounds amazing. I mean, great food, perfect climate. Man, the temperature is amazing. The fruit is probably, wow. And all I'm asking you, Adam, is just don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. Be cool, dude. Be cool. Don't eat. And then God makes woman. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, there's a lot of several things that stand out in this verse. Do you notice? Everything up until now, God said, It is good. It is good. It is good. Oh, look at man. It is very good. This is the first time that God says that something's not good. And you go, What is that? Guys, it's not good for man to be alone. See, God created us with a desire for relationships, relationships. And he gives Adam the wherewithal to realize that something's missing. You know, it's just, man, I thought maybe the horse might be okay. No, that's not comparable. Oh, what about, you know, I mean, dog's man's best friend. That's pretty cool. I'd like to have a dog, but I'm I'm missing something. And so what God does, he says, it's not good, Adam, that you should be alone. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a helper. Everybody say helper. Here's why. Because it means a helpmate, one who helps. That's what God created. God created man, a helper. Now, here's the point. Listen to me. Man needs help. Man needs help. And God knew that. And he created a woman to come alongside and be a helper. And be a helper. And it says comparable to him. I like what it means because it means one who fits him. Or a fit for him. Right? 
It was commentator Matthew Henry who wrote this, and I love it, right? When he, God created man, it said, Woman was created from the rib of man. She was not made from his head to top him. Listen to me, guys. Nor was he made from his feet to be trampled on. She was made from his side to be equal to him. From under his arm to be protected by him. From near his heart to be loved by him. But biblically, biblically, we know that woman was created to help men. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 11, it says, For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man, and man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. Fits like a glove. You go, why? Mainly because men needs help. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Men needs a lot of help. A lot of help. Well, how do you do it? Well, look at verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every, each living creature, that was his name. And so Adam gave names to the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So here's what's happening, right? Adam, I've got a job for you. Yes, Lord, you're going to sit in the garden. I'm going to bring you these things. You name them. So there he goes. Oh, hippopotamus. Oh, elephant. Okay. Yeah, it looks like a duck. Walks like a duck. Must be a duck. Okay, there's a duck. And, and so that's Adam's job, right? And Adam, and then all of a sudden, there's something happening in Adam's heart. He starts getting lonely. He starts realizing there's not somebody or something that's comparable to him. He's going, Lord, Lord I I've named all the, I mean, birds, look at the birds. There's an eagle, there's a falcon, cool, those are cool. And I'll think, but there's not, there's not the, there's not the woman. And yet, I love that God is a wonderful surgeon, right? And even a better matchmaker. Look at verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds, right? To the beast of the field. And Adam, there was not fine, a helper comparable to him. Verse 21. And the Lord God, notice what he does, cost caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh on its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. Notice what Adam says. Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now, again, to you and I, we're like, that's what he said? That's not romantic, right? First of all, it was just like, okay, here's what he does. He puts Adam to sleep. This could be known as the first anesthesia because he's about to do some serious surgery. When Adam wakes up, he's like, but in the Hebrew, it's just like, whoa, wow. And, he's, and, 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 and I, I love this because, I, I mean, just think about this, guys. Again, this is crazy. Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh, and she shall be called woman. Why? Because she was taken out of man. And therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother to be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, this is, this is something crazy. I draw your attention to the fact, okay? I draw your attention to the fact that, that Adam was created out of, help me, church, the dust of the ground, Everybody got that, right? Out of the dust. Okay? Eve was not created out of the dust of the ground. 
Eve was taken from men. As we come to the last portion of Scripture, guys, we notice that God did not make woman out of the dirt, but instead out of a rib. God took one of Adam's ribs and fashioned a woman. And the things that stood out in the text, guys, was, was basically it was a deep sleep, right? He was in a deep sleep. It, it's the same deep sleep that Abraham went into when God made a covenant with him. It was the very same, same word as used, that deep sleep, like, wow, I mean, God is just in a, a precise, and, and then a rib was taken out, right? What a wonderful surgeon removed precisely the right rib. Now, here's what it gets interesting. If you look up how many bones an adult has, we have, we have 206 bones in an adult. And out of 206 bones, you guys got to help me, church, how many bones do you know that grow back? Are there any? You're saying one? One bone that grows back. Okay? Only one. One bone that if it's removed precisely just right you can grow another bone. Now, I'm not going to give you I'm not going to give you all the I mean just all the details. You can look it up for yourself. Can you guess which one it is? The rib. The rib. And I love that God fashioned women out of the rib of a man. And yet Adam was not without his bones. He wasn't like, "Oh man, I I've got something missing here." Lord, what happened? I got a pain. That woman you gave me, Lord, I mean, no, rib grew back. He was normal. He was cool. He was good. He was good. He was good. But, but also, too, also, too, guys, it's noteworthy, okay? Think about stem cells in the bone. Stem cells in the bone can, they have determined now that they can, in fact, grow or regrow organs with the stem cells. I thought that was interesting. And here's what I learned today. I've learned that there are five donor spots for stem cells, five donor spots. Number one, you can get it from the cranium. Okay, you can get stem cells from there. You can get it from the sternum. You can get them from the pelvis. You can actually get it from the vertebrae, or you can get stem cells from the rib, from the rib. Woman was made from the rib. Adam loves every moment. He looks at her and he says, wow. And he learns poetry right here. What I'm really bummed about my boy Adam here is that he learns poetry now because he sees Eve and he's like, wow. I mean, think about what he's been looking at, right? Every adult, a cattle, I mean, a cow walks by, he's like, no. He sees Eve, he's like, yeah. Woo. You go, girl. And he learns poetry. The problem is, is that, is that in the next chapter, He's going to be like, he's going to be throwing her under the bus, full extension. Lord, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. But right now, everything's good. Everything's good. Everything's good. Now, let's close. Let's close with this. If you have a New King James Version in verse 24, the word is therefore. And anytime we see a therefore, we got to go up to see what it's there for. Well, God has just been a saying to us that Adam was like, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And you go, okay. 
Then it says in verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The question that was posed earlier is that, well, Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother, did they? Not, a, not an earthly father. They had the heavenly father. So why would this be put in here? Why would this be put in here? Because he's giving us a pattern, right? He's giving a pattern of marriage in the future. He's not necessarily painting a picture for us to go, oh, this is what's happening right now. He's saying, okay, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, clinged to his wife. And they'll be one flesh. They'll be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. That's a great verse, is it not? Because right here, guys, it just shares, it just shows us, it just shows us the intimacy that a man and wife should have. They weren't tripping. And something's going to happen and it's going to, and it's going to distort all of that. I'm going to close with this, guys. Up until now, verse 25, we're still good. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're having, a, they're having a great time, man. They're eating. Listen, they're eating fruit. They don't have to count calories. But they do have to watch what they eat. You go, what? Oh, no, not in terms of fat or sugar like we do, but in terms of obedience. Because the Lord said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Next week. Guys, we're going to learn what disobedience looks like when we are deceived and when we openly partake in things we know that are wrong. That's next week. Father, thank you for your word tonight and truth in your word. Thank you, God. There's so much. We could have spent all night, God, in these verses, but thank you that you you just spoke to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we got the details of you creating Adam through the dirt. Help us to remember, guys, that, that, Lord, we are dirt and that we're dirt that simply glorifies you. Thank you for the garden. God, one day we'll be back in a garden. And, and Lord, I can't help but think there was another garden, God. Where you where you dropped and you sweat great drops of blood knowing that in a few hours you were you were going to go to the cross for us and i do lord and i thank you god that you made a woman to help us to encourage us to hold us god when we're down to cry with us. Someone who understands us. Thank you, Lord, for our text tonight. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. 
I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.